We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. No. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Scott. Oh, it's hi, Scott. <laughs> It's the first time you've ever screwed up your line. (laughs) I was just getting ready to say, let's stop and I can cut that out, but I think let's let it roll. No, let's let it roll. It's pretty funny, actually. (laughs) I have one line. It's two words. (laughs) You almost nailed it. You got half of it right. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't call you Mike or something. Yeah, exactly. It could have gone that way. (laughs) Hey, brother. How's it going? Oh man, it's good. By the way, you are you are ex- exceptionally glowy today. Um, Am I? No, in a good way. Yeah, you just look yeah. like you have sort of no, a I heavenly do. aura around your. I mean, and... when you're saintly, that's just what happens. <laughs> you said you're in Austin right now. I am in Austin. Yeah, and it's nice to be here. I'm actually you... really excited. Tomorrow we're going to. I'm I'm with my friend Michael. And Michael is house sitting for his friends on these two chihuahuas, which you may hear in the background because they like to yip. Um, And he's like, come on out to Austin. And so we're hanging here together for a little bit. And we're going to a place tomorrow called Barton Springs. Do you know about it? Did you tell me about it? (laughs) No, I probably didn't tell you about it. But that was one of my favorite spots in Austin when I lived there. Oh yeah, I'm so excited. So you've experienced it. Just this, it's for people who don't know, it's this spring water filled pool, but a giant pool, like a three acre size pool of spring water. Yeah. So would you go swimming there a lot? Yeah, as often as I could. I loved it. And it has, because it's spring water, it has a constant temperature all year round. And um, I mean, you, you would get too cold to swim in the winter, at least for me, there were people who swam there all year round, but I, God, I loved that spot and the water felt so good. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. And we did visit Casa de Luz, which was what you recommended to go see. And we're going to go there again tomorrow. So cool. Yeah, no, it's good. We're out in the suburbs in an area called Spicewood. Oh yeah. Every time I, I always think of Spice World and the Spice Girls. I'm in spice world, baby. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're uh, especially glowing. You're just feeling exactly. spicy today. Exactly. Yeah, I lived a little north of there um, when I was in Austin. I lived up in the, your friend would no doubt know the Wells Branch Parkway neighborhood. And so, but I actually worked along the capital of Texas Highway. And so I would drive down near the Spicewood exit almost every day. Wow. And how long ago was that that you were living here? I was there from 2009 through the about May of 2012. So I was there for two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think it's grown leaps and bounds just in those nine years since you left. Yeah. What's your sense of it? Because uh, I haven't been back for a really long time. I think 2015 I was or 14 I was there briefly. You know, I visited a couple of years ago and loved it, but was much more uh, was in the city and was much more active tooling around town. We're, I, I haven't done that quite as much yet. Over the weekend, it was um, Austin City Limits was going on. So we avoided the city because there were tons of people. Yeah. So our one um, foray into the city was was lovely. 
You know, yeah. I, I don't have a, an educated opinion beyond, you know, it feels good. It yeah. feels uh, bigger than the kind of city I want to be in right now. Um, which leads me to other, uh, I guess, news. I told you in a text, but I'm going to be uh, relocating, like, or locating, <laughs> actually, to Santa Fe in November. And I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be not on the road in the same way and just settled at least through the winter um, for a chunk of months. And Santa Fe just felt like the place. And I, I, I was going to say chanced in, but it didn't really feel like chance. It felt like divine intervention into a really cool casita in a part of town I love, which it's this area called El Dorado, which is about 20 minutes south of the city proper. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited. New Mexico is completely uh, just charmed me once again, and I can't wait to live there. I'm so excited for you. I just, as you know, I was just there and I, I just love that town. I love, I love it. <laughs> the entire vibe is awesome. Me too. I love the state everywhere I've gone in the state and I've gone several places now. It's just, it's really special. The nature there is just off the charts and the, the feeling there is really good. So yeah, so that's kind of uh, my big news. Oh man, that's awesome. Um well, you can't I can't uh, see Jacob, but he's just looking at his phone and texting or doing I something. Well, I don't know what he's doing, but he's not present. Glad you called me out <laughs> on that. Like, yeah, um, a friend of mine, dear friend and mentor, actually was just trying to call me. I haven't talked to him for over a year, and he was a big part of my twenties. And um, anyway, he we texted earlier today, and he said, "Okay, let's talk in the next day or so." And he just tried to call me, so I was saying, "Yeah." you're down, you're further down the totem pole than my friend, Scott. I've got to continue doing this. Well, you are doing a recording right now. (laughs) That's literally recording. So, you know, Scott, I just got done with a series of four weekends in a row of traveling out of state. Um, Yeah. So Santa Fe was the first in that series. Um, And each one was a completely separate reason for travel. So Santa Fe was, you know, for work. And then the next weekend I drove Megan, my daughter up to Seattle to help them move up there. And the next weekend was to Napa Valley to help a friend with his 50th uh, birthday during which I turned out to be a Pharaoh. Um, I think maybe we talked about that. I saw your garb. Yeah which really was fun. And then this last weekend, I went up into the Hell's Canyon Snake River River Wilderness uh, on a jet boat and stayed with a couple of my brothers and a couple of dear friends from childhood and um, in a cabin. It's kind of ridiculous to call this place a cabin. It's a gorgeous beach house that he and his wife built with their hands, and it's only reachable by boat. And cell phones didn't work and it's fully solar powered and it was such a great thing, but I am so glad to be done with looking forward at several weekends in a row of just leaving my house. It turns out I'm really a hobbit. I really liked my place. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, travel's wonderful and it, it throws, it, it throws you off schedule like it, or not even schedule. It just throws you out of any sort of routine that you may have established. And I feel like maybe that's part of what you're experiencing. 
Well, and I, you know, I texted that to you this morning or sometime about the travel and I laughed to myself, like I'm talking to a guy who has been blowing like a leaf on the wind now for, you know, a year or more or whatever it's been. And it's like, that must sound kind of funny to him. Like, uh, so I'm curious what your experience of living sort of really on the road, uh, how, for me, it feels destabilizing. Like my routine gets all shuffled up. I love it. And I don't feel like I have enough time in between these last several trips to actually feel like I put my feet back on the ground. So I continue with daily practices that help, but I'm curious when it's more of a kind of a long-term thing, how does that feel to you? I think it's easier in some ways because, you know, typically when I would travel before, all my routines get thrown out of whack. And as much as I tell myself, oh, I'm going to work out and I'm going to journal and I'm going to meditate, it was so often rare that I would do those things. Um, But because this has been my lifestyle now, I find that I've I've created different routines. Hmm. You know, when you're waking up in a tent, even if it's in different places, it's like I've gotten used to starting my day in a similar way. And I've gotten used to having the things that I need around me, mm-hmm. um, whatever foods those are, whatever, you know, it's like you build you build a different routine. So it's not, it doesn't throw you out of whack when you've spent a day driving and arrive at a new place because that's what you've been doing for weeks or months. And it feels more natural. I was just talking about that with my friend Michael here because he just arrived here maybe four days ago and he's trying to get into his routine because he's he, he traveled from New York. So he was kind of thrown out of whack. And I realized that, yeah, I've been in a groove. You know, yeah. I'm in a good groove with it. I feel like I've been taking really good care of myself overall within it. Um, I do think though that it, is really helpful when you are, even if it, when you are traveling, when you're going anywhere, it really can be helpful if you're able to, to go in with the intention of sticking with, you know, a handful of things that keep you grounded in your life. So you're not so thrown off balance. If that Mm -hmm. is your meditation practice or your journal practice, if you can bring that with you into your trip, which I was never great at doing, but the times that I did do it, it it always served me because it just helps you feel, kind of feel like yourself wherever you are, you know? Yeah. No, I, I really love that. And it's interesting as you say that I've found myself maintaining because it, a number of years ago, I established sort of my most important things. Um, I found that making my bed, even if it's a hotel room, <laughs> Um, even if it's a symbolic making of the bed, like, you know, knowing they're going to come and mess with it later, somehow that helps me, um, making sure I'm drinking plenty of water, getting some kind of walk in and definitely journaling. And even if it's for a few minutes, some sort of meditation or mindfulness, breathing silently, um, I've been able to maintain most of that. I'd say the meditation practice has probably felt the least secure over the last several weeks. Um, in terms of sitting down for 20 full minutes, but I guess if I look back most days, definitely at least three or four minutes, some of what we've talked about before, you know, just even taking a a minute and settling down into, you know, groundedness out of anxiety or out of just the bustle of travel has been really helpful. 
Yeah. And, and you know what, I, for me, what's also helpful is like, if you take a little box or a little bag with certain things, like your favorite stone, your favorite crystal, if you're a crystal person, your favorite um, Oracle card deck, you know, things that when you are unpacking into a hotel room or into an Airbnb or into your tent, you can, you can put around so that you're seeing things that are familiar to you from your home. That really helps me feel more at home wherever I am as yeah. well. Oh, I like that. So creating this <clears throat> little setting that parts of your mind find familiar and useful. I, I really love that. Yeah. It's like a little sanctuary, Yeah, you know, a little candle, like the, your favorite candle that's in your home and burning, bring it with you on your trip. Yeah. Have this, that scent that you love so much be with you on your trip. I think these things can be important because travel, travel as wonderful as it, it, I find it to be, can be destabilizing. Yeah. You know, and especially if the reason we're called to travel isn't for joy. You know, if it's we're called home because somebody's sick, not well, or for reasons other than just celebration and partying, um, it can be really helpful to have things around you that help you feel a bit more grounded. Mm. So are you done traveling for a bit after these four weekends? Oh yeah. And I'm my, my Hobbit self is so happy about that. Oh my God. I'm like, we're, we're Hobbits homebodies. Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Is that Back a thing in Lord of the Hobbit Rings, that was one of the big things that they made a thing about. It's like, no, we don't go on adventures. We stay home and we make good food Got and it. we sit around with our people and we don't leave yeah. the Shire. So what are we doing <laughs> Saving the so world. Hobbits are like hermits. <laughs> hobbits and hermits. Oh my. Well, yeah. So, well, and I, I'm curious. It's interesting that the sort of sort of the theme of destabilization comes up. I can imagine a lot of people would go, "Well, I'm not planning on traveling. I'm not planning on any of this." So I'm just sort of tugging that energetic thread a bit. And I'm a lot of my friends are experiencing, you know, big career questions or various things in their lives that are saying like, this really feels like a lot. And I don't know, as I sort of take the temperature of the world, the collective out there, it seems like there's a lot of back and forth right now that, that people might be feeling destabilized. I'm curious, does that feel like a thread to pull to you, Scott? Well, sure. Yeah. Because the world is wildly destabilized. Yeah. Which is, I love that you're bringing this up because it's not just about when you're traveling. It's like, look at any choice you're making in the day that might feel destabilizing. Spend 15 minutes on the news yeah. and you're likely to come away from it feeling a little less grounded than you were before. So these things we're talking about with um, traveling are relevant to everything, right? Like what can you create in your home environment that helps you feel a bit more grounded so that when you're making a choice or when you're having to do something that takes you out of that grounding, how can you return home to something that helps you create a bit more balance in your life? I think these are things we can always, always be doing. And the more intentional we are, the more, I think the more energy we give to those things. So for instance, if, if you're being intentional about journaling you're building around your journaling practice an energy that automatically creates more grounding for you, right? Because of the intention that you're putting into it. So you can trust that by giving yourself over to that intention, you're going to come away from it feeling a bit more grounded than you were going into it. 
this is how I see energy. This is for me how energy works and replace journaling with whatever it is that you do for yourself, taking walks, meditating, taking a bath, whatever those things are for you. Be intentional. Yeah. yeah I'll just say there's, you can't replace journaling. You have to journal or you can't. Be a... <laughs> Since you and I love dogma so much, Scott. Yeah, exactly. Must <laughs> journal or you're a failure at life. You can't do any of it. <laughs> you're a terrible person. The truth is the world we live in right now, Jacob, it is entirely possible that if we, if like the media grabbed onto the thread that the people who do not journal are bad people, we would be seeing uh, the division between journalers and non-journalers and we'd all I'll be shaming and judging each other for it. I wish I were joking. <laughs> I wish that were jo a joke. Yeah, I know it's not. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, we started out by sharing about our, our travels, our journeys. And um, as you bring that home and talk about, okay, whether you're traveling or not, for whatever reason, or if you are for some reason that isn't just a party or a celebration of some kind, um, and I think interesting to sort of take that idea and expand it and say, okay, and life, uh, we, you know, this is such a cliche, but life is a journey and our lives are journeys. And really when we imagine ourselves on a caravan with the characters sometimes changing and all of that, I think it can actually give us a sense of maybe a greater sense of peace to go change as a constant. And this is, seems to be a repeating theme for us, Scott, talking mm -hmm. about that. And the idea that, especially in a world in which change has become a radical presence in most of our lives, the idea that the same job or the same relationship or being in the, that relationship in the same way, any of these kind of major table legs, if you will, the idea that that is completely eternally solid. And if it changes or something, you know, goes away that we're going to be, um, really in chaos. The fact of chaos, the fact of the experience of chaos isn't wrong at all, but I think that it going into this idea of how can I approach today as a period of my life during which the scenery will change in some way. And if I expect it or need it to all be the same, that is me buying into an illusion that probably won't help me stay sane. Yeah, absolutely. I'm reading the power of now again, rereading it hmm. right now. And what you're speaking to is he, he makes the distinction between life. I think he calls it life experience. It's not life experience, but it's life let's say life experience, the difference between life experience and life. Hmm. And he's, he, Eckhart Tolle says, your life experience is not your life, right? Your life is, is much deeper. Yeah. It's what's within you. Your life experience is what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. And the more we attach ourselves to anything that's happening around us, the good and the bad, right? The more we connect ourselves to the outer, the less connected we tend to be with the inner. Mm -hmm. And peace can only be found from the inner. Peace can only be found from within, right? And we know this because 10 people can all be having the exact, 10 people can be in the same life experience and each person is going to have an entirely different response to it. So we can't say that that was, 
that was an awful experience for everyone if one person came away from it feeling fulfilled and enlightened or whatever, right? So we know that it's not about, and this is this is like, feels like spirituality 101 in a mm. sense, but spirituality 101 that we need to continuously check in with and remind ourselves because we're all so addicted to moods determined by what's happening outside of us, what's happening in the world, what's happening in our lives, what's happening in the in our homes right now. And I want to um, I want to do an exercise. I'm going to do it with you and to the listeners, if I may. Are you open to this? Of course. And I just wanted to say while you're preparing that, that, uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle was um, one of my mentoring clients 20 years ago or so. So I'm really so happy to see that he's integrated these lessons in <laughs> I was going to try to do that with a straight face. Oh my God. You had me for like one second. I saw your eyes. Like, wait a minute. 20 years ago, Jacob was still this. And right. <laughs> okay. That would have been extraordinary. Couldn't if you pull that off. Mentor. Yeah. <laughs> you sold it though. You you did much better there than your introduction. Oh, good. Oh, good. Good. See? All you right. Still yes. have, there's still an acting, you still have acting hopes. <laughs> My heart is fully prepared for this uh, for this yes. exercise. Yeah. So he, if you're so to everyone listening, unless you're driving, I mean, don't close your eyes. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, but don't obviously if you're in a place where you can't. So he says, try a little experiment. Close your eyes and say to yourself, "I wonder what my next thought is going to be." Then become very alert and wait for the next thought. So say that to yourself. I wonder what my next thought is going to be and see what happens. So Jacob, so we don't have too much dead air. How, how was that for you? What happened? Well, the first thing that happened um, was really cool, which is there became a space between thoughts. Completely, right? Yeah. You like couldn't think of your, it. You're watching. Exactly. That's yeah. the whole point he's making is that if we can live in that witness place, we're in the present moment. I'm sorry I cut you off, though. Say more. Not at all. No, I mean, that's that was a really cool experience. And, you know, at, because I, I do mindfulness meditations, it wasn't unfamiliar. But right in the moment where I'm not sitting down on a cushion with music, it was like, oh, my God. Also, it was very humorous because the thought that did come in was Scott's bald head. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love that. Genuinely, I'm like, what the hell? What? 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 I thought some really profound, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your defense, my bald head is shining brightly right now. So, <laughs> but isn't it amazing that when you ask yourself that question, I wonder what my next thought is going to be. There is a space with no thought, yeah. which means it is in our power to create that space, to be a witness, to be the watcher instead of the person consumed by the thinking, yeah. instead of becoming our minds. And that's ultimately one of the things I love rereading this book, and I haven't read it in 20 years, whenever it came out. Hmm. And what I remember about it, I remember always thinking of this as one of my favorite books and as one of the best examples of a book 
that continuously brings home the promise of the title. Like he continuously comes back to the now. Every single page comes back to being in the now, in the present moment. And it's incredibly powerful to consider that we only ever have the now. And there's so much talk about the present moment, I feel, in the spiritual world, in the world of personal development. We're always talking about being in the now, being in the present, right? But but the truth is that's the only place we ever can be. It's the only place that is offered to us is this present moment. So when our mind is somewhere else, our mind is living in illusion. When our mind is thinking about the future, our mind is contemplating fantasy because it does not exist. And what naturally happens is that our mind contemplates that fantasy with a doomsday scenario, right? With all the nightmare possibilities. So we're giving so much energy over not only to to the doomsday, but to something that isn't even real. Mm-hmm. And so he's, Eckhart is, Eckhart, I call him Eckhart. <laughs> I call him E.T. Oh, my God, E.T. I never he's perfectly fit for E.T. He basically is E.T. Um, He is constantly reminding us that all we have is this moment right here and now. And if you if you bring yourself back to this moment, there's no suffering. Mm -hmm. It's it's always in the future. It's always in the past. Right. And. It's powerful. It's a powerful, extraordinary message. And, and he focuses so much on the um, being a witness, being a watcher, not being. And we've talked about this on this podcast. And it's so important, I think, to, to bring this back up because we are not our thoughts. And what creates suffering for us 99% of the time is when we become the thoughts of our mind instead of just watching them. It is possible to watch the insanity of the mind from a distance without becoming it. And then it's just the mind doing what the mind does in the same way when you're taking a hike, you're aware that your legs are walking. You're aware that your feet are balancing you, but you haven't become your legs. You haven't become your feet. It is separate for you and you know this. We can do this. We can learn with practice to do this with our mind. And it creates so much more peace, room for peace, so much more space when we do it. I was sitting here trying to beam my Buddha visage (laughs) at you just to show you how (laughs) you felt it. Yeah. Uh, No, you know, Scott, I, I encountered these things. It's funny. I was sitting here trying to do the math, um, which is not my top skill of how many years it's been since I read that book. I think it was 2008, nine, and I was heading in, I was heading through a period of tremendous turmoil. Um, And I remember just what a powerful book. It's interesting. I probably want to revisit that myself. My brother and some of his friends who he's been working with and sharing books with have encountered it recently. And I just love hearing the the mind-blowing you know, like re- reactions they have, because these are people you wouldn't necessarily experience, expect to be reading The Power of Now. But I, in after reading that book, I, I think I was actually in the moving truck on the way to Austin. Yes, I was listening to a set of Wayne Dyer CDs that a friend of mine had given me then. And he was talking then, Scott, about 
as a, as a psychologist, as a therapist, he would work with people. And, he, you know, he said, this is previous to me having the spiritual breakthrough. He said, so just as a psychologist, I was started to become aware when a client would sit there and say, I'm so depressed or I'm so anxious. He said, I just started to get more and more curious about this. And he would ask the question, who, who is depressed? And they said, well, I am. He said, well, who is aware of the depression? And yeah. he said, often they would sit there and say, well, what are you talking about? I am depressed. And he's like, no, you're having an experience of depression, but let's, let's sit for a moment with the awareness that is able to see that kind of like you're saying, hiking, yeah. knowing that you are not your legs, you are not your feet. Um, they're part of you. And he said it became a really valuable exercise. And he said, it began to change me because he said, all of these things I identify with, I am tired. I am whatever it was poor. I am all these things. He said, I began to understand the magic of stepping back from that identification just for a it's moment huge. or two. It's huge. It is such a gift. And the thing is, it is a gift that's available to us whenever we remember whenever we're caught in the insanity of our mind and can remember, wait a minute, I am not these thoughts. I can watch these thoughts. It's like a lot of Buddhist teachers talk about the sky and the clouds, right? No matter what's happening in the sky with the clouds, storm clouds, beautiful clouds, the sky is never the clouds. Yeah. The clouds are what's happening. The clouds are the thought and we are the sky. And it is, I feel like truly, Jacob, this is the essence of so many teachings. This is the essence. Like if we can get this, if we can get this practice and be the witness, be the sky, this is the, this is the path to peace, right? This is the path that allows us to recognize the separation between who we are and the thoughts we think. Who we really are. Yeah. It's funny. As you were saying that I, I last week, somebody posted something and I went and looked at their profile for some reason, and they had as their header image on Facebook, uh, you are the sky, everything else is, is just weather. And I think it was Pema Chodron or one of those, you know, Buddhist teachers. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that. And as you're bringing it up, I, the reason I'm bringing that back, because you already said all of that, is that I want to pay attention to or acknowledge the fact of how cliche spiritually that can sound on one level for people who are going through turmoil, it's like, that just sounds like bypassing. It sounds like you're telling me some high, and it's like, yes, on one level, it's a cliche on another level, as Scott has been sharing that process earlier on another level, it is the power. This is the part of the power of who we really are is to begin to make a choice. And Viktor Frankl talks about it in man's search for meaning that becomes this really powerful, miraculous, um, ability we have to begin choosing our attitude, to begin choosing what the next reaction or response can be, or choosing a response versus a reaction. And so to me, it can either stay at the level of cliche, which can make some people feel kind of good or make other people feel really angry and frustrated, or other people feel ashamed that they're not able to get there or it can become part of a practice, which means it's not done perfectly, but it can be tried in every moment. It can be tried in any moment, I should say. Every moment sounds a little bit lofty. 
Yeah, I mean, the th here's the thing for me when I hear spiritual bypassing, I believe that there's a lot of spiritual bypassing that happens, sure. And if what you're bypassing is your suffering in a moment because you are able to play a witness to thoughts that are creating suffering, what is wrong with that? Like, how could there be anything wrong with not giving energy to something that is creating more suffering for you in the moment? See, I, I feel like what happens for us spiritual folks, and I, I put myself in that place, is we, we believe that we have to suffer in order to get to where we want to be. And I say over and over I've said it a thousand times on this podcast. I say it in my workshops. I say it in my writing that healing takes work because in my experience, it does because we are not, we haven't been struck with the lightning bolt of enlightenment and haven't transcended all of our pain, but work and suffering do not necessarily have to be the same thing. Like there is nothing wrong with not giving energy to that, which creates more pain for you. Um, and at the same time, this is how to say this. It's really about what you're authentically living in the moment. If you are pretending that you're not in pain, but your whole body is in pain and energetically what you are experiencing in pain, that to me is spiritual bypassing. If, if you're not being with what is but if you're experiencing some type of mental suffering, you, you had a fight with a friend and you're locked in this, the story about that fight and it's creating all this anxiety and you're able to, in that moment, transcend that anxiety by remembering you're the sky and not the weather. That doesn't at all feel like bypassing. That for me feels like a moment of clarity, a moment of being with your authentic self, because who we really are, I believe, in our soul space, in our heart space, is not suffering over fights with friends, is not suffering over all the division on this planet. There is a peace within us that is not bound to the external circumstances. And when we can tap into that, I don't believe that's bypassing. I believe that is coming into awakening, even if it's for 10 seconds. I was having these great conversations with my brothers and these other friends. So there were five of us there and we had all grew up in the same um, church, Scott, and our paths have crossed and recrossed and some of our family members have married various ones. So there was a lot of commonality um, in experience and we're all men in our forties. And with the exception of one, my brother, Isaac, all of us, you know, have been married, have had children, various points on those different uh, experiences one thing I loved about what happened this weekend, which I was actually <clears throat> really almost low key wishing I could get uh, catch a mild case of the flu so I could have a reason to say I need to stay home, partly because I tend to um, want more solitude. And I knew that, that I would be, you know, in a car for five hours each way and then in a cabin or on a boat for the rest of the time together. What emerged was something really unexpected and wonderful. Um, I mean, really just tremendous amounts of bullshit, of course, laughter and wonderful mm -hmm. stuff, but also, but also some conversations about the kind of things we're talking about right now. And we, we had conversations about the question of 
can transformation, can real growth happen without some kind of crisis? What, what could possibly lead us into an experience of growing, really growing in significant ways that didn't require a crisis? And I think it's easy to get kind of tangled up in the semantics or the theory about that. Um, but to your point, learning how to engage with what it is we're going through without trying to escape the feeling, but also begin to create distance from the identification with whatever the suffering is and, and become more curious. I think in the middle of it, if I'm wound up in a story of suffering, I'm, I'm likely not being curious. Um, it, it feels to me like one attribute of not bypassing an experience, but also not becoming fully identified with it, which means I only get to see the growth or the change way down the road and looking back at it. One attribute of it is curiosity going, oh, interesting. I wonder what's happening right now. I wonder, I'm feeling this anxiety because of that fight I just had with a friend. My mind is future tripping, giving all these scenarios about how, well, we can't be friends anymore. So I guess I'm going to miss that. All this craziness, which hasn't even happened. But in the middle of it, go, okay, I am feeling, I am feeling this. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what truth I'm not able to see yet, or I wonder what lie I'm telling myself that would, that would continue this experience of suffering, or in this case, let's say anxiety. I love that. The, the word that kept flashing through my head was just curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love if we can approach our growth with curiosity, even when we're struggling, even when we're in pain, if we can do what you just invited us to do, which is like, look at it from this perspective of learning, like, oh, I'm like in deep pain right now. (laughs) My mind is going bonkers right now. Like, what's this about? Can we do that exploration? Because especially in the the example I gave of a, a fight with a friend, where our mind will go is it's all their fault. And here's what I would say next time if I had the chance to say it. And you just, you, you're a hamster on that wheel yeah. spinning out. And, and what you're inviting us to do, I feel like is to go deeper. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is this, why, why is this happening to me? What's happening inside my body? What's mm-hmm. being triggered in this moment? What is there to learn from this? How is love inviting me to show up in the context of this situation? Where is all this rage coming from? There are so many questions we can ask. And the, the thing about it, and you mentioned this earlier, is what we so often do, and it's so unnecessary. And if we can get out of the habit of this, it just it creates so much more peace in this process, which is we do not have to shame ourselves for wherever we are or whatever we're feeling in the moment. We can just be aware of it. We can just look at it non-judgmentally. We can ask all those questions without judging ourselves that we're not more enlightened or we're not less angry or we're not more loving. All of that is so unnecessary. And part of the thing that helps me remove that shame and remove that judgment is this continuous reminder that it's entirely human to feel everything I'm feeling right now. Every human on the planet gets angry. Every human on the planet gets jealous. Every human on the planet gets in fights with friends. Every human on the planet blames. Like all of this is entirely natural. So let me eliminate 
the suffering created by the shame and just be curious in this exploration. Mm. I look back at the last eight or nine years and one of the great blessings of my life was getting to work, you know, with Randy Davila and his events group and his publishing company. And even prior to that, while I was living in Austin there, Scott, in fact, not too far from you is the um, Unity Church of the Hills. And I was attending there for a while. What a, what a gorgeous group of people that really such a wonderful experience for me. Um, but they would host and Randy would put on events there. One of them was with uh, Byron Katie and mm -hmm. he had me uh, volunteer ahead of time. And that got me tickets at the time I was completely broke. So I wouldn't have been able to afford his tickets, but I, I got to go and experience that her in person. And it was so interesting for her to share her very simple work in a room full of probably 400 people and and her her presence there, her willingness to sit with the skepticism, and she invited it. Like, don't just sit there and nod your heads. Ask me the questions that are in your head right now. Ask me why this doesn't seem valid or practical. And one of the, one lady stood up and said, "I'm so glad you asked that because I've just been sitting here. What would Byron Katie do if she were walking on the street and somebody um, jumped out from an alley and?" with a knife and tried to mug her and take her purse and then actually stabbed her. And Byron Katie said, looked around and said, thank you. That's a great question. And the you could tell the lady was kind of nervous even asking it because it was such an unenlightened question. And Byron Katie said, well, I think the first thing I do is probably say, ouch. <laughs> it was such, it, it just, you could feel the relief, the laughter in the room. And she said, yeah. no, but I'm, I'm serious. She said, don't assume that any of this process that I'm offering you is taking you out of the experience of being human. She mm -hmm. said, I would experience pain just like you would. I would experience shock and I would probably say, ouch, and I'd probably put my hand over the place that got stabbed and I'd probably feel fear and would try to get some help for my body. Uh, she said, but this is not a process of disassociation, of disassociating from being human or experiencing humanity. It's becoming very present. She said, you just notice. If I say, what can I know to be true? Well, what I know to be true right now is that I, I just experienced pain and I just experienced fear and I just experienced the need to probably not bleed out on the sidewalk if I can help it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to. I just keep coming. I mean, I'm because I'm reading The Power of Now, it's very present. Um, but it is not necessary to, to be with our past over and over and over and over again. Mm. It's, I, I use that, I, I say the word necessary very specifically because mm -hmm. I do not believe it is necessary. I believe that it is possible to get to a place of peace. And I'm, I haven't gotten here, so I can't say this from my own personal experience. Um, but I believe Eckhart has gotten there and, and someone in one of the questions in the book was about that. Like, basically, don't we have to heal our past? And in his response, if I'm remembering correctly, was something along the lines of when you're in the present moment, it is not necessary. 
It's like being, focusing on being present, focusing on playing witness and being right here, right now eliminates any need to be with your past because when you are present, you're not in the past. That's the whole point. When you're focused on the past, you're focusing on the past. You're not alive in the present moment in the same way. But when, and one of the, one of the avenues, one of the pathways into the present moment is through the senses. And I love that. It's, if you feel like you're, you're spinning out on the future, you're spinning out on the past, what happens if you just close your eyes or keep them open and bring yourself into your senses right now? Like, what is it you're looking at in this moment? What smells are you smelling in this moment? What can you touch in this moment? What sounds are you hearing in this moment? If you have food around you or drink, what tastes are you tasting on your tongue? When we get in touch with our senses and tune into our senses, we are brought back into the present. I was spinning out a little in my head yesterday, Jacob, and where, I, where I'm staying right now, there's a pool, which is really lovely. And I was in the pool and I was lying on my back and looking up at the clouds and my mind was focused on something and kind of spinning away. And all of a sudden, I, st I feel like I still don't even know if this really happened. It was so extraordinary. In the sky, there was a flock of birds, but a large flock of birds and maybe dozens and dozens and not starlings that create those like swooping clouds, but they were birds that were not in any specific formation. And they went right overhead, slowly weaving in and out of each other, creating different shapes and visuals. And I swear to you, I, I felt, because I'm selfish and life is all about me, I felt in that moment like, Oh my God, what a gift. This is because there was no way not to be present with what was happening in the sky in these birds because it was so extraordinary and so beautiful. And I was completely taken out of my head into the visual sense of watching this flock do what it was doing. And it was, it was such a gift. And it was a reminder again, it's like anytime we bring ourselves back into our senses in the moment is a pathway to presence. Man, I love that. It's something I would work with in journaling practices and things that I share with people is beginning with describe, take a moment, describe how am I feeling right now, but deeper than that, like describe how you're actually feeling when well, my butt is yeah. nestled in this chair and I'm smelling the coffee or what, you know, whatever the sensory details are. And I think as you're talking about it's like that is a pathway into oh this moment yes not future tripping on how i should feel or how i want to feel or how i'm not feeling so i feel ashamed because i'm not feeling that way because that's the best way that the books all say i should be feeling it's like no how do i feel right this minute oh and also in addition to these are the sensory details it also for me reminds me of what in this moment is true and what I'm so happy is true. So I can sit and have many, many times, Scott, sat somewhere in a coffee shop with my journal, writing and writing and writing about the misery I was going through. And I think there's tremendous value in that. But when I would take a moment and actually journal about this is what I'm experiencing right now, mm -hmm. that's a pathway back to gratitude also. Because it's like, wait a minute, I have actually been in circumstances much less comfortable than this. Physically, right now, the truth is I've been very, very cold. 
Mm-hmm. I've been very, very poor. I've, there's all these different things. So I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I'm sitting, I am sitting in a coffee shop with a beautiful, expensive computer in front of me um, with a fairly expensive latte in pretty nice clothes and it's warm and oh my god i'm actually not as miserable as i my mind is telling me i am it's surprising how coming present the likelihood is if you're journaling or if you're taking a moment for peace that like we're talking about tuning into the sensory details the likelihood is we're not in a life or death situation if we were we'd be in full tilt run or something Exactly. Right. The Byron Katie example isn't the norm. Like what's creating suffering for many of us on a daily basis is just worrying about the future, dwelling in the past. It's not, it's for many of us, not life and death um, all the time, most of the time, much of the time. Right. Um, And you're, you're so right about gratitude, Jacob, because gratitude is another pathway to the present moment. When you are acknowledging that which you appreciate in your life and that you're grateful for, you are rooted in the now mm-hmm. and, in a, and in an absolutely beautiful way, yeah. which is why we'll never stop talking about gratitude. As cliche as it might sound and get in like how many spiritual things are going to reference gratitude, there is a reason for it. It is a profound tool, a profound healer. You were going to say something though. I cut you off a little. No, I'm just, I'm actually wanting to take a moment and pause on that because we're talking about things that are so simple that it's easy to keep parking in a category of our brains, mine, certainly of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. It's like the reason it needs to be a practice is because it's impossible to do it perfectly every moment. Or if it is, I don't know any of those people. Um, Uh, well, you know me. I mean, you and Eckhart Tolle. I mean, I, there are a couple of people, I guess. You know, see, there I am just lying. You were my mentor too back when you were mentoring Eckhart. <laughs> no, I wanted to pause there for a moment though, Scott. And it, it took me back in history, my own history of several years ago, when I was feeling so really broken um, down and really unsure if I could gather myself again, which was a contradiction of everything that I was teaching and sharing at the moment. And I started to feel like quite a fraud in the middle of that. Like, wow, I'm sharing these things that I know to be true, but I'm something is missing here in my experience of it, in my practice of it. And during that time, that's when I actually began to develop some of the daily practices I've been, we've been sharing, um, today and earlier days. Um, but one of those things that happened during that time, Scott, was I remember being nudged, make a list of everything that's working in your life, because that was one of the habitual tracks my mind was on is nothing is working. I'm not working. This isn't working. What's going to happen if I can't get it to work again? And I had this tap on the shoulder one day while I was journaling, just make a list of everything right now, right now in your house around you in your life that is working. And I started making a list. When I walk over there and flip the light switch on, the light works. I like that. I need that. When I turn, or at least I really enjoy that. um, If I go and turn the water faucet, clean water comes out. If I go and flush the toilet. And I started making a list of very practical things in my life. If I go outside and turn my car key, it starts. 
I, my shoelaces are all in place. It was really interesting to notice, to take the time to notice what was working. And that would change sometimes what was otherwise for me at the time of a pretty dark feeling day. And I would begin to go, my life is filled with things that are working, like literally full of things that mostly work. Yeah. And that would flip an interesting switch. Um, and I'm really grateful after several years of practicing various parts <laughs> of this, that I really rarely have a dark day anymore. I'll have dark moments. I'll have scary moments, but it's pretty rare now because it's become the accrual effect of day after day, after week, after month, after year now of doing it over and over again, and sometimes needing to return to the simplicity of that kind of practice. If I ever find myself feeling really scared, really unresourceful, sometimes pulling something like that back out of the bag or being reminded to use it again is such a powerful thing. Oh my God, almost everything in my life is working. I love that. I love the simplicity of it, honestly. You know, some of the, the highest highs I've had in the past couple of years have been taking gratitude walks mm -hmm. and just announcing out loud all the things I appreciate in the moment in my life you know, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes just nonstop and they build on each other and, <laughs> and, and you come away from it. I came away from it feeling just so high, so connected to what's working, as you say, because no matter how many things are not working, there are always things that are right. There are always many things that are, if you really take the time to do that inventory and why wouldn't we take the time to do that inventory? If by doing so, what it creates inside of ourselves is a bit more peace, a bit more ease with, with our lives in the moment. I'm glad you brought it back to the practicality of it. Like why? And especially when we're going through a period of depression or a lot of anxiety. Um, I'll say this, Scott, for me during those times and still today, when I find myself feeling unresourceful or afraid going through a practice like that, it allows me to operate that day. I mean, anyone who's listening, if you've, if you have, or are dealing with a time of what feels like debilitating depression, I want you to know, I completely understand that. I want you to know that I understand what it is to lie there in bed and go, I don't, I don't, can't think of a reason to get up and do any of the things today. Um, and I can say and I'm saying this very carefully because I know that in the middle of a depressive episode, it feels so impossible and so almost laughable to try anything at all. Mm -hmm. And I can say that the process of lying there in your bed, doing a two minute inventory of the things that are working can actually take a day from feeling completely impossible to feeling like I can get up and do what's needed to do what I need to do because that cycle of not doing the very basics. I'm not talking about spinning out of control and performative productivity and all the things, you know, to show up and hustle for our worth and all of those things. I'm talking about, no, I do need to get up today and take my kids to school. I do need to do these things. Um, if I allowed that cycle to continue spinning that say says all of these things are impossible that would begin to have negative results in my life and in fact would then begin the vicious cycle rather than the virtuous cycle of creating more and more situations where i would then find 
more and more reasons why everything wasn't working. And so I want to just say that doing exactly what Scott says, an inventory, I love that word. It feels so concrete, an inventory, a gratitude inventory. This isn't so you can be, this isn't a nice thing or a spiritual thing. It's both of those things, but that's not really, it actually has a practical effect. It allows us to take a step forward when sometimes it feels like we can't. 100%. And you know what? Do it when, it, if you're called to start a journal now, start a journal when you're not feeling as depressed as you can feel when you're when you're feeling good when you when it's a, a good day or a good hour start a journal listing all these things because when you are really down it can be helpful because because depression is going to tell you that this is your only reality and you're not going to get out of it and there's nothing good and there's no reason to hope and if you have a journal that you can grab and you can flip open and you can see that your depression is a lie because you're reading words about how grateful you are for different parts of your life or you're leading, reading letters that you asked your friends to write to you that you pasted into this journal that speak to what a wonderful person and friend you are or that you're reading letters that you wrote to yourself when you were in a clear space about how much you actually love yourself and how many things in your life you actually cherish and how many people. This is one of the ways we help to combat, for lack of a better word, the lies that our depressions will tell us, right? right? And you can't have too many pages in that journal filled with things about yourself and your life that you love and cherish and are grateful for. Right. It's interesting, Scott, and it's part of this new course that I'm just about ready to release. Um, I promised <laughs> in one of the lesson videos, I promised that I would um, offer an affirmations practice. Um, and I began, as I began creating that then to finish up the promise of that course, um, I began delving into the, the reasons why, what, what an affirmation is and why it works. And, um, so I built a little instruction audio ahead of the actual practice part of it. And what I loved is what I found in there, um, in, in some of the research, which is as infants, we are in the deepest brainwave states, delta, and as we, and that's when we're in the womb. And so we're actually in a hyper learning state, like everything is just coming in, coming in, coming in. But we have very little judgment or rational thought, none basically when we're in the womb or, or infants up till about the age of two, we're in this deep state and the delta, or I'm sorry, the theta state is, is the same state that we're in when we're in like hypnosis um, and we're able to then um, attach to, it's like a dream state and we're able to receive information and we're able to receive information at a very deep level. And then as we grow into adulthood, we naturally then move into the alpha state and then the beta state, which is where most of the future tripping, the stories about reality, all the narrative stuff is happening in those other brainwave states, but learning to return to the mind of the child, which is really, so when we hear that word, the mind of the child, the beginner's mind, um, 
sometimes it's easy for us, I think, to dismiss that or say, okay, that's a nice spiritual concept. What does that really mean to me? Interesting. I love, I'm a geek about this stuff. I love finding out what that means in what science is discovering about our actual brain states and how it affects our body, our physiology. Um, and so, for example, with affirmations, settling down into deep relaxation and saying words like, I am loved, mm. I am safe, I am seen, I am enough. Those things begin to actually rewire the brain. It's called neuroplasticity. It begins to actually change our brains. Yeah. But at first, it can be very difficult because the parts of us that grew to believe those things are not true um, and absorbed messages when we were very young that those things weren't true, couldn't be true. Um, sometimes rebel at hearing those. I know it did for me at first. Like it actually physically, I would get physically uncomfortable when I sat down and was, was trying to use that practice. Little by little, eroding the lie that that wasn't true. I am loved. I am safe. I'm seen, I'm enough. Little by little, my mind would say, it's time to go clean the bathroom. This doesn't feel right. This sounds like bullshit. Um, whatever the thoughts were and the feelings were in the body, it was interesting to then, now that I've learned more about it, what's happening in the psychology and in the, rooted in the deep nervous system, like learning that those things can be changed, learning that we can actually rewire it. And that's why it can become a practice. It's like understanding that this isn't an automatic. So if you've tried gratitude journaling before, if you've tried affirmations, you've tried some of these things and it hasn't worked, well, there's a reason why it's like, it takes time. It actually can take time to learn a new truth and begin to identify with that truth rather than the lies that we imbibed before we, many of us knew or even knew our own names. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of, of something I saw on Instagram a couple of days ago that is, I don't remember the exact words, but it was essentially, it can be really disheartening to understand that our trauma has rewired our brain, mm. but it can be really exciting to understand that meditation also rewires our brain yes. or like positive thinking also rewires our brain. So yes. it's, we're not, we can never be a lost cause because the same things that have put us in a place that feel out of alignment with who we really are that put us in a place where we're not able to accept that we are loved and, and seen and held and whole, um, with practice, which is what you're speaking to. We can rewire, we can, we can lay new neural pathways that allow us to live in the space of truth, which is that we are whole and worthy and loved. And it so is, it's, it's never too late. And it's, it's the present moment. Late. It's everything you've been talking about today. Yeah, it's never too late. Yeah. You know, I brought a uh, thing to read. I don't know if it's my turn or not, but um, it, this Go actually it. happened to me this morning during my journaling. It happened to me, Scott. <laughs> uh, no, it came to me. So I, I don't want to rush that. But if when you're ready, I'd like to share no, it this. it feels like a good time. Okay. I think we've talked enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I think I've shared that my friend Lisa Campion uh, who was a client years and years ago. And then, you know, now since then she's written and released a couple of books and she's an amazing true psychic medium. I think I've talked about her before, but she yeah. sent me a, this gift of this, uh, this Oracle deck. Um, and at first I, I kind of resisted it cause you know, I don't know, cause I'm a snarky bastard or something, but I eventually started making it part of my daily practice to pull two of these cards and just would see what would come up. And today, 
Um, today, the child came up. What's, what's the deck called, though? It's called the Mystical Shaman Oracle deck. Oh, yeah. You brought this up because you were snarky about Okay, cool. The Mystical Shaman Oracle deck. Sorry, go Which ahead. Which is interesting because, you know, one of the creators of this deck was Alberto Violdo, which, who I have now have tremendous respect for, um, Colette Baron-Reed. So anyway, beautiful stuff. But what we're talking about today, I really didn't know why. Uh, I mean, besides that it's meaningful in my life right now. Um, but this child card came up and what we've been discussing today is really returning to the mind of the child. And what I was talking about earlier about brainwave states, Scott, like when we learn about what the mind of the child is, it's actually moving back into those states of mind where we are radically present. Yeah. We are open to receive information and we actually begin to internalize truths um, at a different level, especially as adults beginning to do that intentionally. So Jesus Christ, Buddha, various ones talk about the mind of a child and what happens when we enter into that state. So I wanted to share this. The The essence is on this card. I wish everyone could see the, the picture of this. It's beautiful. The essence is the child knows the way to joy and happiness. The child offers the return of a second innocence a time born of wisdom and not of naivete. This, this card allows you to correct your course and offers you a second chance. It brings you the possibility of redemption and of entering heaven while on earth. And the invitation is, the child is here to release you from the habit of being yourself and to help you acquire a beginner's mind so that you can see life as if for the first time. Remain open to learning and discovery. Who is your spouse or partner today? Can you see them with fresh eyes? Who is looking back at you in the mirror this morning? Become a mystery to yourself and re reconnect with a sense of childlike wonder. Oh, bravo. Become a mystery to yourself. That is lovely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Will you show me the card? Oh, I will. Yes. Let's see if I can do this. So you can see the whole thing. Oh, wow. Isn't that beautiful? Super cool. It's like a... She it's a she kind of looks like somewhat elfin, like I don't know, a troubadour, mystic, <laughs> wild woman. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, really. Yeah, there's an innocence and and a knowing there. You know, interesting. I don't often read this part unless the card comes out upside down. You're not supposed to, uh, or, or it's not generally relevant. Um, but there's a third aspect to that, and I just felt nudged to go ahead and read this. It's called the medicine. Great. And this, this is, um, yeah, I'll just read it. The medicine, if this speaks to you, um, can really be helpful as well. The medicine is the child comes to show you how you can correct the course of your life without being punished. Set yourself free from your conditioning for suffering. You were born unfettered and happy and can be so again, if you make the choice right now, the child will help you climb out of the hole you may have dug yourself into to re to recover your sense of play. Mm, lovely. Yeah. I love that, brother. Thank you for sharing that. I wonder, this whole time of trying to stay present and also wonder um, what kind of question, we, you know, we've had some wonderful submissions um, and I would love to hear from listeners. I wonder what we might ask people to respond to today from what we've been talking about. Does anything come up for you, Scott, or ask us questions? But I think, yeah, 
how can we engender? I would love to get some responses, reactions, um, skeptical questions, anything. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I'd love to know what people are doing to what we were talking about um, in the beginning to help create more stability, more presence in their lives when the world is unstable, mm -hmm. because I'm sure a lot of, of you listening are feeling the instability. We're all feeling it. So I'd love to hear from people what, what they're doing. I'm always, we always want questions. You know, we love to get questions from people. If any of our episodes are bringing up things for you that, that feel you want to dive in um, further, you want us to dive into further or that are like Jacob said, if you're having resistance to anything we're saying, mm -hmm. different perspectives on anything we're saying. Yeah. I also want to say I would re I would really be grateful. We'd really be grateful if you feel you are benefiting from uh, this podcast. If you would head over and rate and review it, and it's not subscribing anymore, but you can just push a little plus that allows you to follow. Um, the podcast, you know, on at least on the Apple podcasts, like that's really great for us. And you can insert questions in those reviews if you want, and we'll check them out from there. However you want to do that, however you feel called to engage, we uh, love the engagement. Yeah. And just to be clear, um, if you're wanting to send us a message through our site, just head over to, I don't know, Scott, I didn't, I, I had a hard time with it this morning. What's the name of our podcast? Hey, Jacob, hi, Scott.com. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> And as always, just thank you so much for listening and for, for being here and being present with us. Yeah. Scott, I hope you enjoy the hell out of Austin. That place yeah. was such a Definitely. time of transformation and, and real magic for me and yeah, everything. So I, I'll love to hear more about your time there. Awesome. Thank you, brother. I love you. You too. Talk to so you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life into your heart before your mind decides it's too much it's up to you to choose it's up to you to choose